Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irina Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed in this podcast are our own and not our employers. Today, we're doing something a little different. We have invited our first ever guest couple to the show. We are lucky to have with us Professor Talia Lerner and her husband, Philip Nightingale. Today is our first Strangers on the Internet episode that has as its guests a couple that met on dating apps, Talia Lerner and Philip Nightingale. Talia is an assistant professor of neuroscience at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and she studies the neural circuit basis of motivation, reward learning, and decision making. She is especially interested in the neural circuits driving the release of dopamine and serotonin, which seems pretty relevant to the subject matter of our show. Talia got her bachelor's degree at Yale University, where she and I actually overlapped as students but never met. And her PhD is from UCSF, followed by a postdoc at Stanford. Philip, her husband, works as a technical support specialist, also at the Northwestern University Med School. He is a veteran, having spent eight years in the U.S. Army, a graduate of Lewis University with a bachelor's degree in aviation administration, and a former social work supervisor at Travelers Aid Chicago. Talia has a son from her first marriage. She and Philip have a daughter. And we can announce here that Talia is currently pregnant. Congrats to both of you. I actually saw Talia in New York City about a day after she had found out this news. And I'm glad that we can celebrate it openly now. I also first got to meet Talia and Philip at the Chicago O'Hare Airport, which was very exciting. And they were about to take their first big trip together. So while I don't see them much in person, I feel like I've happened to be around at pivotal moments. Talia, why don't you tell us a bit about how you experienced online dating before meeting Philip and what you were looking for? Did you think you were going to meet a kind former soldier with lots of tattoos or did you kind of fall into this relationship? Online dating can definitely be a roller coaster and I did not know what to expect going in. One of the things I will point out that I love about it, though, is that I never would have you know, picked Philip's uh, resume there that you just recited out of um, a lineup initially. And I don't think there's any way we would have actually met in real life. We had very different life paths. I don't think a matchmaker would have put us together. And yet, when we happened to meet due to randomness of the internet, we just clicked. And I feel like I found my soulmate. So I feel really, really lucky from that sense. What would you say about his profile drew you to him and and I guess too and either you could answer this who reached out first what would you each say about each other's profile drew you to each other so I did sort of switch strategy I guess in a sense after I got divorced first of all I spent a long time alone not interested in dating just trying to recover from a breakup and then you know, initially when I was dating, I was sort of looking for nothing. I, you know, was a single mom trying to establish my new lab. So I wasn't really looking for commitment, but eventually I reached a point where I was looking for a commitment. And it was really only after that, 
that I met Philip. And so I feel like maybe there was some energy I put out in the universe or maybe some change to my profile that expressed that. When I was looking then through profiles, I also kind of became more selective in who I swiped on. Philip didn't have a ton of information on his profile, I will say, but he looked cute. (laughs) And he didn't have any of these like horrible red flags that I had learned about from previous experience. I remember he'd had a, a quote on there that was like a little mysterious. It said, once more into the breach, my friends. And I don't know, he just seemed like maybe he would be an interesting person. So I took a chance. But I did not, you know, on that initial swipe necessarily think he was the one. I think there was no way to know that, basically. Philip, what about you? What made you decide to swipe right on Talia? Yeah, like for me, I wasn't actually looking for anyone at the time. You know, I had gone through a divorce. I had been single for like almost uh, a year, maybe, or maybe eight months. I don't really remember. But at that point, I was like, I think I'm done with love. (laughs) I'm going to move out of the country and live off my rental income. And like, I was planning on riding my motorcycle to South America, actually. But the way things worked, it lined up. So I had like a month of time where I was like, I got to get things ready. I'm kind of bored. I think I'll check out this app. And um, I didn't do a lot of searching on there. I went on like two dates before I saw Talia's profile. And on the previous two dates, I was kind of like, this person is not someone I'm looking for. So after the date, I let him know right away because I figured that's the right thing to do and I don't want to lead people on or anything. When I came upon Talia's profile, first of all, she's very beautiful. I saw that she had a, a child and I was a little scared at first, you know, because I, I've never had a kid and I was like, if I respond to this person, you know, I'm not someone that's just going to be like messing with a single mom and like messing with her emotions and those types of things. So I was like, if I do this, like I have to be ready to be a father figure in someone's life, which is a weird like commitment to make in your minds before you even spoken to anyone. But uh, those were my considerations. I saw like in her pictures that she did a lot of outdoor stuff. And I was like, you know what? It seems like I'd be a good fit with her. And if if it doesn't work out, I'm just going to leave the country anyway. And hopefully everything will be okay still. But um, I decided to reach out to her and... Yeah, we just started messaging on WhatsApp. I think uh, one of the things that Tyler liked about me is that I just gave her my phone number and said, you can talk to me if you want, but I'm not going to bother you, basically. So here you go. And then she reached out to me. So what happened with the trip to South America? I'm just curious. Did you just drop the whole idea or what, what went on with that? And I've got to say, I'm waiting with bated breath for this answer because is this a man thing? Because I've heard multiple <laughs> men come up with this plan, including my own boyfriend. He said the exact same thing. He was mm-hmm. plotting to leave the country. He was interested in going to Africa. His job would have allowed, they have remote sites elsewhere. And he was like, well, you ruined my plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, waiting with bated breath. Yeah, I think it's a thing about certain men. I've I've spoken to my father-in-law about this all the time, where there's like not exactly like the same role that there used to be for men in the world. And by that, I mean like 
there's no, there's not a lot of jobs out there where you can seek adventure and challenge yourself. That's part of why I joined the military because I really like testing myself. I like to see how far I can go. And, you know, once you get out of the military, you can be a police officer. That's not really my thing. But, you know, there's very few opportunities to just go explore the world, challenge yourself, see different things. And that's, that was my mindset. You know, I had been bogged down in a really bad relationship for a long period of time. And I was like, I need to challenge myself. I need to challenge my spirit. I need to become better. And like, that's just a method to do that. I'm sure other people have other methods, but that was mine. And what you thought. <laughs> then your yeah, methods changed. Thought. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, raising a, raising a young boy who's your stepson is like, <laughs> it's definitely challenging. And it's like uh, allowed me to explore my character in ways that I didn't know was even there because I had never like just jumped into that role like that before. On that note, we spoke with a divorce coach. And so a lot of our focus was on the issues that can come up dating after divorce. And we also did talk about if one or both of the people have children too, the impact that would need to be taken into consideration when when children are present. And so it's so interesting to hear you bringing up these very points today. I know I'm brimming with questions relating to all of this. And so I think it's really awesome, Philip, what you said that you were being considerate about, wow, if I'm going to date somebody with children, I need to be prepared to possibly have a role in that child's life. I'm also wondering, did that come up early in conversation or when did it between the two of you? What role Philip would have, if any, or at what point in your child's life? It was definitely something that gave me pause about dating to begin with. And I think on my profile, I had said something like, you know, I have a son. I think at the time he was three. I have a three-year-old son, but she won't meet him unless we get very serious because, you know, I didn't want to be introducing my son to just anyone. At the same time, I wanted to mention it because I don't want to mess around with someone who, like, the second they find out I have a kid is going to run away. So... You know, I had that in mind when I met Philip. I certainly wasn't going to, like, introduce him before I'd even met him or anything like that. But once we did meet in person and went on a few dates and, like, really hit it off, it did start to come up. And actually, Philip, I was a little wary. Philip was eager to meet him, though. I think he was eager to show that he was up to the challenge. And so we agreed to sort of go out and not necessarily sort of make it obvious that it was a date, but just sort of, oh, we're going to go meet a friend at the zoo. And Philip got tickets to the Brookfield Zoo, um, which is a little bit outside of Chicago. And, you know, we met up there and went around to see some animals and stuff. And it was it was good, but it was actually, like, it was pretty scary for me. And it did not go entirely smoothly, actually. <laughs> the fir- After that first time, I think Philip was actually a little bit maybe judgmental of my parenting like my son is a little hyperactive and maybe I didn't totally like direct him the way Philip was expecting me to and we sort of had our first fight after that I don't know would you say that's true Philip where I was kind of like if you're not gonna like you know come around to what's going on with my parenting if you're if you're just gonna like criticize me then like we're we're done we don't have to go on any more dates or whatever you know I was kind of like 
probably the closest that I came to breaking it off was like, oh no, what if this went, you know, is not going to go well. But Philip reacted very well. <laughs> I, I, he apologized and he gave me flowers the next day and we talked about it. And I think we sort of came to a better understanding after that. You know, I, I have found it to be a fairly typical pattern, actually, for the person that's either a step-parent or step-parent-to-be, that they perhaps would be a little bit, I'm going to call it harsher on the child than the biological parent. Uh, perhaps that's even more true for somebody that has not raised a kid himself or herself. And so it might not be as obvious that, no, you know what, like punishing them isn't always going to work or, or whatever it is that they uh, thought would, you know, would be the solution. And I'm wondering, Philip, about your perspective. So you went from, do I want to take on a role as part of this child's life to, not only do you now have a child together, so you're raising two kids, now you're going to have a third. Like, what happened? What, what, how has your journey been in all this? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you have to understand, Talia and I come from, like, very different backgrounds. I grew up very poor. You know, I had to, like, grow up living in other people's houses because my parents couldn't afford a house. And, you know, we had to go to food shelters or whatever to get free food and stuff like that. So in terms of like raising a child, my experience, like, you know, we got the hint very often anytime we didn't do something right. And it's always like, it's very parent centric, even though you're raising the child, it's like you're raising the child to honor and respect the parents. And then through that, they, you know, learn on their own to, to maneuver the world. So when I saw Callan, when I met him for the first time, there was like a lot of focus on him. And I, I found that strange, honestly, um, for the focus to be like all the attention directed towards the child instead of like the parents do something and then the child just follows along. Like, cause that was my experience growing up. So uh, when I came into that, you know, it did catch me off guard. And I, I mentioned it to Talia, like, hey, <laughs> Talia, I don't know like if this is gonna work because it seems like the child is in charge of the whole situation here and like how are we gonna have a relationship if like the kid is basically telling us where to go and like we're waiting here or there. But I think the key to any relationship is like that you care about the other person's feelings and you're not gonna agree on everything because you haven't encountered every situation in life. So what separates Talia and I is that like we really care about each other and people people say that but like if she tells me she's hurting I try really hard to like understand that and I don't always come up with the best approach because I'm a solutions based person and automatically when someone tells me there's a problem I'm like well we can just do this and it's not reasonable to think that way because x or y and slowly but surely I'm learning like people don't want to hear that you know they want they want you to like listen to what they're saying and just be there for them and through their emotions or whatever and that's how Talia and I have come together in terms of parenting is that we care about each other's opinions and we balance out each other a lot and I really appreciate like her parenting style even though it's not exactly the same as mine together like I 
totally see the value that she brings in the parenting. And I think she sees like the side that I bring is pretty good for the family too. So I'm so glad to be able to talk to you all about your situation with coming in as a non-parent into a situation dating somebody who is a parent and then ultimately becoming a parent yourself with that person. I think the question of what's it like to date somebody with kids when you don't have kids is one that's going to come up a lot amongst our listeners and, and maybe too amongst some of them, what's it like when I do have kids and you do have kids, but we have different parenting styles. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Is there anything else that either of you all would say about that stands out in your mind about navigating that dynamic? I know for me, when I was in a serious relationship with somebody who had a child, I had a somewhat similar experience to what you all are describing of where I was, I asked his child to not do something and it, caused an argument for us that I was telling his child what to do. Whereas then, and I, I said it was a serious relationship, but somebody I went on to marry and have a child with. Um, and so then later it was such a weird dynamic being like, okay, up until this point, you were the only parent and your input mattered more, but now both of our inputs matter for the child we have together. And so I'm just curious, anything else you all would say, either from the dating stage, maybe even especially from the dating stage of navigating that, but also once you were each parent, how do you deal with it when you have different parenting styles? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that the co-parenting relationship between me and Philip for my son really evolved as the relationship between us evolved, right? Because it does go from I'm his mom, you're a visitor to like, okay, we're really going to do this. You know, we're going to live together. We're going to get married. My son is with me most of the time. So it's really, you know, you're, you're an active, once you're here living with us, you're like, really have to take this active role in parenting. But for me, that meant I have to accept that there's another person parenting my child. I can't say I'm always right. I'm always in charge because we're partners now, right? So that was a transition for me to like, I can't just always be right about this, like Philip's parenting style matters. And especially when we decided to have a kid together, then that became, I think, even more important because now we're gonna have this kid that's like genetically 50-50, that we very clearly should have 50-50 responsibility for. And I don't want my son to feel like an outsider to the family or different from the other child. I don't want him to feel less loved or less like a real son. And so we really need to figure out, you know, parenting both of these kids together and kind of treating them the same. So it, it was something that actually we talked a lot about, especially when I was pregnant with our daughter. And to Talia's comment, I just, uh, go off of what she said a little bit. I feel like before you even think about getting a relationship with someone, you really have to take a, like a mental assessment of yourself, of your qualities and be like, am I actually ready for this? And I think the other person with the child needs to do that as well, because they have to be open to all the things Tali just said of, am I ready to let someone else have 50% of the responsibilities? Am I mature enough to have someone with a child tell me what to do, basically? Because, you know, you're new, you don't know what's going on. And you just have to be, you know, like I said, 
make all those check marks in your minds. And then if you see that you're mature enough to try to do something like this, then you should start. But you really got to think it through. Don't just jump into it because it's a, it's a, it's hard for the child. It's hard for the single mom or father. Yeah. That's all I have to say about it. You know, the other interesting thing about this with expecting a third now is I think it's actually the third is going to be the one where we're truly 50, 50, because when we had our daughter together, I had experienced previously ages zero to three, and he had come into Callan's life and he was three. And so I was still kind of the experienced parent when our daughter was an infant. And I had opinion, you know, I was like, you know, whatever, this kind of poop is alarming. This kind of poop is not alarming, whatever that kind of stuff I had experience with. And Philip was more the first time parent personality. We're like, oh my God, something's wrong. Oh my God, something's wrong. I was like, it's fine. Callan had this, it was no big deal. <laughs> so I think there was still a little bit of inequality there in terms of, because we had just had somewhat different levels of experience with parenting going in. Now, Philip has seen what it's like to go through that infant stage as well. And we're really going to be 50-50 with this new infant. So it'll be, again, a new parenting relationship. I think every time you add a child in, something changes. And that means the relationship kind of has to be prepared to change as well and evolve with the changing family. So one thing that was really interesting, you both said a lot of interesting things, but one thing that struck me from what Philip said is just the willingness to accept input. And Talia was really reflecting that also. And that resonates with some of the John Gothman research that we've discussed on this show before. And that I guess sometimes people's either personalities or their sense of what it means to be a man, right? Like a macho version of it prevents them from, from doing that and from saying, yeah, you know what, this is a situation where you have more experience than I do. And so I should be open to this. And I suspect, and I'd love to hear more about that from both of you. I suspect there was probably a need for that also coming from these different cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. And also there's something different about getting involved with an academic. There is something very unique about that world. It can get a little strange. It can get a little, uh, you know, closed in on itself, right? Where it's all these people who always talk to each other and they're, some of them are maybe a little standoffish toward people that are not academic. So I would just love to hear about how both of you experience these things. Yeah, I mean, well, I can go first and Philip can offer his perspective on it. Like you said, we do really come from very different backgrounds. He's, you know, grew up poor. He's Hispanic. I grew up relatively affluent. I'm a Jewish woman, so we also have different religions and you know, very different also, I think, perspectives on education. Like I was one of those kids who was sort of always pushed to excel academically, you know, expected from the very beginning that I would try to get into an elite school. And my parents both have PhDs. So of course, I have to get a PhD. Like this is an obvious path. And for Philip, you know, of course, that's much more distant, I think. And so, yeah, it's been interesting kind of, you know, talking about that experience, navigating, for example, educational opportunities and our different sort of families' perspectives on how to value those, especially in light of like what we should do with our kids. Phillips probably learned a lot more than he ever wanted to know about the details of academia, what it means to get tenure and things like that. But it's also really refreshing to 
date a non-academic, I would say, because like you, like you just said, Arena, it's like so um, cloistered in a way. It's nice to get someone that takes you out of that bubble and reminds you there's a whole other world out there outside of academia. So that actually I, I like in the end being, being with someone who offers a different perspective on life. Philip, what about you? How, how was it entering this whole world of Talia's? It's, it's basically another dynamic that I had to consider that I didn't really understand right away getting into the relationship because I come from a background where no one's a professor, you know, there's no professors in my family or anything like that. So once I did get into the relationship, I found out, hey, there's a lot of traveling that happens. Talia at first was very hesitant to like leave me in charge. Uh, I think because of guilt, you know, not because she didn't think I could handle it, but of leaving me in charge with Callan while she traveled. And I kind of just saw it as a challenge because I'm extremely competitive. So like anytime I had to take the whole family to the airport and Talia's uh, on a business trip or something, I'm like, this is awesome that I get to show everyone how good I am at this. And it's kind of, I know it's kind of weird, but I, I don't know. I get off on that basically <laughs> Show, showing people how easy it is for me and everyone else is complaining how hard it is. And I just, I like that. I don't know why. I think that's such a great attitude. Yeah, Do you agree, I love Michelle? that. And I I I'm it. thinking too, our listeners have heard me talk about this before, but um, my first marriage, I was in graduate school when we got married and he came from a blue collar background. I came from a more like upper middle class background and I was in graduate school. And so he moved to, to be with me while I was in graduate school, but that meant all of our friends were people from my graduate program. And so it's all these people talking about becoming, you know, having their doctorate. And we were talking about academic minded things. And in our case, it did, it drove a wedge between us. I would say in large part because we didn't communicate about it. He didn't communicate about how it made him feel. And I took for granted, incorrectly, it appeared in the end, um, I thought he knew that degrees didn't matter to me or to my friends, that, uh, that we saw him as just he could hang in a conversation just as easily it's not like we were trying to talk about graduate school stuff sometimes it happens but you know we weren't constantly trying to talk about that we were interested in the world outside of that but he very much felt aware of i'm talking to a bunch of people who are getting their doctorates i am just some guy you know he kind of felt like and for him it made him feel inferior even though i never felt that way about him and so I wonder what that dynamic, if, if that came up for you all, how often that comes up for people. And also, you know, we talked about, Philip, what was it like shining some light into Talia's world? But I think the opposite question could also be asked, you know, and were there any kind of socioeconomic based or just ra being raised different ways, background clashes that came up for you too? Yeah, I, I can definitely speak to the issue of like feeling uh, inferior because of the degrees and stuff like that, because I don't know how far back, but like almost everyone in Talia's family is a doctor. However, coming from the military background, I was an army sniper. Like I don't feel inferior to anyone, honestly, even though in my mind, I'm like, I don't have a PhD. 
Talia's family has never said anything, like go get a PhD, but I feel like pressures for sure. It's just like up to the individual to overcome their insecurities because I have insecurities from my last marriage. I have insecurities from my uh, socioeconomic background, but it's just up to the person to overcome that and, you know, basically be there for your partner when you need to because that stuff hurts your relationship, right? So you have to understand that and you always have to try to improve yourself what else do you got to do in life try to work yeah you know and I think it's an interesting like gender dynamic too um I mean I say interesting but frustrating from a woman's point of view that when you are accomplished um and doing well in your career a lot of times it really can be threatening even to guys that do have degrees that there is this sort of desire I think a lot of men have to feel superior to their partner and that was something I was very wary of because I think it did really start to come up in my first marriage and I needed to find someone that was going to just respect my career. I don't have a desire to like hold this over Philip, like, Ooh, call me doctor. I have a, you know, but, but I do have a desire to be like, respect the fact that I have a passion for what I do and I need to do this. And, you know, you can have your own passion. Right. But, um, I just, I just need, I need someone that's going to respect my professional ambitions. I, I love Talia's work. I try to be passionate about her work as well. You know, I try to like listen to her, her presentations that she's going to do. I try to give her feedback because it's, we don't separate things because I was in the army and she, she's in neuroscience. Like I like to speak about neuroscience and just because we have different, uh, you know, educational backgrounds. I feel like you still have to find a person that can basically speak your language in some sort of way. I don't know like all the terms that she's talking about, but I know enough about biology and the brain to be able to hang in with the conversation with her. And she likes that. And, and I like it too. I like other fields of science as well. And I talk to her about it without her bringing it up to me. And, you know, that's part of being in a relationship and being compatible with someone even though we have yeah, and that actually came up even before I met you in person when we were just like texting or whatever. I noticed, and one thing that did really make me like Philip a lot was that when I said I'm a neuroscientist, you know, a lot of with a lot of other people, I would either get like, "Ooh, you must be really smart," or like, you know, sort of intimidation basically. And with Philip, he just was very open. He just started asking me questions about my research that you know especially from a lay person, were pretty intelligent questions. So I was like, okay, you know, this guy's both smart and not intimidated by me, which is great. I can speak to a little bit of this myself also that, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty excited to talk to my now husband, Carlos, about tech stuff. Like, even though I don't know how to program, right? But I'm probably in one of the more tech areas of law and, and it's become even more true over the years as I've gotten into this internet law research, including all this dating app uh, research and some of the presentations I've given, I think I could hand over the PowerPoints to Carlos and he could give the presentation. I'm not joking. Like he's heard it so many times um, that he could go actually do a pretty good job and, and answer some of the, the you know, most common questions. Uh, so it's really nice. Like when you have like common intellectual pursuits, even though you always recognize like, no, I'm not going to be 
Talia, I'm sure, recognize I'm never going to know as much about military life, for example, or, uh, you know, and, and Philip recognized I'm never going to know as much neuroscience, but that that doesn't become a reason to feel that you're lesser in any way, but rather that it's exciting that you get to share these, uh, these pursuits. And it's just something you could not predict from a dating profile, but sometimes when you talk to someone, it just turns out it works. Coming back to that. So how did you know? How did each of you know? So it wasn't just, okay, on first impressions, she's hot, he's hot, let's get together. <laughs> but, um, but at what point were you like, whoa, like this, this is, this might be somebody I could have a long term or that I might end up married to one day. What would you say each of your inclinations towards that I think we knew were? pretty early. Like I didn't know when I swiped, but we knew pretty early once we really started um, talking to each other that it felt really good. Even just the texting, like I said, was good because for example, he was just sort of able to be really open with his questions and things like that. And we texted for, it was like a week or maybe two weeks uh, before we met each other. But when we finally went on our first date, you know, we really hit it off. So I think nothing was determined, right? We still had to, like we just talked about, navigate all the um, parenting stuff and things like that. But I think even from our very first date, when I met him in person, it was clear there was a lot of potential. Basically, after our first date, I, I felt like there was something really special there when we were just messaging each other before we even met, you know, I was at a point where like, I'm either going to have a relationship or like be single for the rest of my life. And I, I was comfortable with that. So with that freedom, I was like, I'm just going to like 100% be myself and I don't care what happens. And I was able to, and um, you know, when we were messaging, I like sent her a poem cause I like to write poetry and I didn't feel weird about it and I didn't feel like, oh, this girl's going to like think I'm so dumb and corny for writing this to her. Um, and she, you know, she responded like she liked it. Uh, I was like, this is awesome. I can just be myself. And then after the first date, we had a very long first date um, and it felt really good. And there was like a lot of magical moments. So I was like, I like this. This might change my plans for the future. <laughs> I do feel like we got really lucky meeting each other and I don't know what it was that brought us together, but we got very lucky. I would say, I hope that other people get lucky on dating apps, but I think it is just, you know, to some degree there's luck in who happens to be on the app at the same time as you, right? I think you're right that there, you know, to some degree there is luck, but I also have heard some things from this conversation today that makes me think it isn't all down to luck. I mean, both of you did the work on yourselves prior to when you met, realizing, you know, I need a little time off after my divorce to really heal from that and to get good within myself before I go out. And what you just said, Philip, too, about, you know, I kind of just got to the point where I was like, either I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody or I'm not. I can see the good on either path, so I don't really care. So I'm going to be myself. And I think that authenticity, putting that out early on, and we've talked before on the podcast about there is a value to authenticity. There's also like where it hits up against just general basic politeness. Like, you know, you still want to 
not roll up on your first date, kick your feet up on the table at a restaurant and um, and burp in front of the person who you're with. You know, there's still some degree of politeness and consideration and let me figure out who this person is. But beyond just that basic politeness and consideration, it does seem that if you know yourself and if you are willing to show yourself authentically, that that does help people assess more accurately if this is going to be a good match. And so beyond that, it probably was a lot about compatibility, but I think it just can't be overstated how important it is that you all took the time to do the work on the front end, that you all were both very intentional about what it is that you were getting into. You didn't treat it flippantly. You were like, okay, so Philip, for you, I understand I'm going on a date with somebody who has a child. That means that there might come a time where I'm going to be involved in this child's life. And Talia, for you, I'm somebody who has a child. I need to be mindful of that with who I choose to date. I saw intentionality from both of you all. I saw taking the time to work on yourselves, to heal from your prior relationships. I saw knowing who you are and being willing to show that. And I also hear that there's really good communication, that you all will talk about something, not brush it under the rug. And I would imagine that in addition to the luck, that those are some things that sound like they contributed to what what sounds like a really Yeah, you're right. I would add to that, Michelle, that, you know, I knew Talia a little bit at the time that she was dating she always seemed very calm. Like other people were kind of like, oh my God, this thing happened, that thing happened, what do I do? And, and she was, maybe she was sort of the scientific investigator, like, let me understand this dating scene. Let me understand these apps. Okay. And so she would gather that information and she would go out and, and I feel like it was methodical, thoughtful, uh, and ultimately led to a good result. Talia, do you think this is accurate? Yeah, it's so funny to me because I sometimes get this a lot that people say I'm so calm and it's like a mask for my internal panic. But <laughs> I do think that I have an ability to sort of self-regulate. That helps me a lot. And yeah, you know, you're completely right, Michelle. Like ultimately it was luck that we, you know, we happened to find a person that was really compatible with us. But in order to take advantage of that luck, we had to be both of us in the right place. And it did take a fair amount of time after my first marriage ended to get to that place. So if I had met Philip right after I separated from my first husband, I don't think it would have worked out. That is part of the luck that I met him sort of at the time that I was ready to meet him. But I had to be ready. Uh, you know, it makes me think of whatever this saying like luck favors the prepared mind. It's kind of the same thing. You need that luck element, but you have to be prepared for it. You really like uh, whatever happened in your past relationship, if it was your fault, if it wasn't your fault, it doesn't matter. Like you have to use an opportunity like that to try to improve yourself, to find out the reasons, like even if it's not your fault, why someone would do something to you or, you know, just try to explore your mind and your and everything that happened to you and try to make yourself better because, you know, you're going to bring that into the next relationship. And don't you want to be the best version of yourself for your potential next partner? 
So how did you two do that? Did you get therapy? Did you journal? Did you get involved with activities, communities? Because there's so many different paths and different things are going to work for different people. But I would love to hear from both of you how you were able to process the dissolution of your first marriages and then move into this phase of, okay, I'm now ready for if the universe happens to present me with someone good. Yeah, I think that's really important. And actually, therapy is a really important part of that journey. I feel very lucky that I was able to access good therapy. When I was at Stanford, you know, they had free sessions of therapy you could get. I started there. I think that helped me process what was going badly in my first marriage. And then I also did therapy once um, I got to Chicago. Again, really fortunate that, you know, I had an employer and a health insurance plan that helped me do those things. It's so important to make sure that everyone has access because I know that not everyone does. And it can feel kind of silly sometimes, but um, then all of a sudden you just realize that you, you know, you have come a long way. I think I did some journaling as part of that therapy. I think that helped. And well, Philip might not like me mentioning this, but I had sort of like been seeing someone casually from the dating apps before I met Philip. And that person was the one that said to me, you know, we're fine or whatever, but I'm not going to be a serious partner for you. And it seems like you're getting to the point where you want that. And I really like appreciated the honesty from that person because something clicked when he said that to me. And I was like, you're right. But it sort of prepared my mind. It's like, I need to forget about whatever, go back and like think about what I really want right now because it's changed. It's changed from like just casual, whatever. I don't have time for a real relationship. It's it's become like, okay, I think I am ready um, for something more serious. So, you know, that guy wasn't a therapist, but it just happened to be he was a kind person who was thoughtful. And I'm grateful for that as well. So I think it's just like being self-aware and also being ready for input. And Philip and I also did uh, some couples therapy before we got married um, and sort of leading up to the birth of our daughter. And I liked that we agreed to do that together, even though we felt like we had a good relationship it's a good idea, I think, to enter into a long-term commitment like marriage with a very clear understanding of each other and what you expect from the relationship. And I was sort of wary of getting married again because the first time did not go well. And so I'm really glad that we agreed to do that together. And it was like acknowledging that this can benefit us even if we like don't have a problem, you know? Well, I think that you two have given our listeners hope about being able to actually find love to find a good quality relationship on these apps we so often hear the distressing stories the upsetting stories the stressful stories and i mean those are all true too but you know we're all in there for a reason hoping for outcomes like this and so it's really awesome that you guys found it and i think it's doubly helpful for our listeners because both of you also we're able not only to to find love on the apps, but also to find love after the breakup of a significant relationship or after divorce. You know, I think most of our listeners have probably been through a painful breakup where it feels like 
this is not how this was supposed to go. I had a different future planned out for myself and I feel like I've really lost something that I was expecting and that I should have here. And I think your story is such a great reminder of you never know what's waiting for you in the future. And and that might be better than this thing you have now and likely is if the thing you have now is something that caused you so much heartache that it's hard to see in the moment that this is a good thing because it frees you up to meet the person that you would have. But I think about what you said earlier, Talia, of if I had met Philip at our earlier point, I wouldn't have been ready for a relationship with Philip. So it's funny how in hindsight, we can see the value of taking the time to go through our experiences, to do the work. And and even if there are some bumps and some big bumps along the way, that it really might be the thing preparing you for where you are at the time where you meet the person you're really supposed to be with. I yeah, think it's lovely. You. And I do really feel, I have to say, like I ultimately learned something from my first marriage that was really important in having a very strong second marriage. So while I wouldn't wish that pain on anyone, ultimately it made me a stronger person and a better partner. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, Ty and I, we both had kind of difficult past relationships and um, in the end it made us better people and it made us understand like what we needed in a relationship it was kind of just a blessing in disguise. Appreciative to the universe for that. And I think we have a another guest joining us, a little toddler guest yeah. who is telling us our time is about <laughs> up. She's ready to have her parents back. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you for having us. It was Thank fun you. to talk to you. stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well and make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes you can become a part of our community by joining the strangers on the internet facebook group or following us at swipe strangers on twitter or on instagram i would like to thank my husband carlos farini for sound editing as well as vlad kuyujukul for permission to use his music for this podcast bye everyone <laughs>